Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. Five years old, I was doing the hacker in front of the mirror. <laughs> The boy's dreams in New Zealand is, is to be in an all black. And that was exactly my dream. And as a skinny little white country boy, I went straight to the back of the haka. Carter, it is over! Carter has done it to win the World Cup. I had 112 test matches for the all blacks, and I remember the 13 that I lost. You're going to have wins, you're going to have losses. Okay, but with these losses, there's going to be learnings. And this is where the growth is. I knew every morning I got out of bed what I was walking towards because I wanted to be the best rugby player in the world. And all of a sudden, I hung up my boots and and I was a little bit sort of lost. So what does an All Black great do in a moment like this? Dan Carter, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you. Looking yeah. forward to it. All the way from New Zealand. I know. Not that far, but uh, it's, it's obviously great to be here in Sydney. Yeah, so I mean, you're a bit of a ledge over there. Uh, have been for a long time. I had mates uh, who I was in business with, uh, New Zealand guys, uh, who are living in Sydney, but, uh, mate, your name was always getting thrown around, you know, as one of the people they're the most proud of. Um, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit. I'm a rugby league guy, but obviously I follow rugby union too. Um, tell me a little bit about... Dan Carter becoming a rugby union player. Like, you know, what was it that sort of drove you into a rugby union? And where'd you come from in New Zealand? Yeah, I grew up in a little country town called Southbridge, only 700 uh, people lived there. And like a lot of little communities in New Zealand, it's um, everything is tailored towards rugby. Uh, you know, there's a farming community. Um, my dad was a, a carpenter, a builder, and my mum, a local school teacher out there. But everyone used to come together on a Saturday at the local rugby club rooms. Uh, so that's where my, you know, passion for for rugby came from. My father and his four brothers all played together in the same senior rugby team at, at Southbridge. Um, but there's something about the All Blacks and rugby union. It's, it's a big part of our identity in New Zealand. We have a really proud history of of All Blacks teams and players that have gone before us. So a lot of um, you know, little boys' dreams in New Zealand is, is to be in an all black, and, and that was exactly my dream. I mean, here in Australia, I mean, we obviously see the rugby union games, we see the World Cup, we watch everything else, and we, we watch where we get beat all the time. And uh, and I've actually been down to uh, Dunedin to watch Australia play, and uh, in fact, it rained, it was muddy, we got our ass kicked. Um, this was some time ago. Um, 
in New Zealand for New Zealanders, you know, clearly the haka like makes New Zealand famous, you know, the the sewer phone, the whole thing. Yep. Why I just can never get my head around it though. What is it? Why is it so important to play for the All Blacks? Like Sonny Bill Williams, when he was playing for us at the Roosters, was always wanting to go and play for the All Blacks, <laughs> irrespective. And he was playing for a foundation club. You know, we yeah. he played in grand final games against us and for us. What the hell is that? Like, uh, is it just bred into you guys? It is uh, at such a young age. And, you know, we probably don't have as much uh, competition in terms of other sports uh, as you do here in Australia, you know, the likes of, of Aussie Rules, uh, the NRL, uh, football, uh, you know, things like that. So we have this incredible history of success in rugby. You know, the, the All Blacks, uh, you know, the most successful sporting team in, in the history of t- team sport, uh, you know. Is that right? Yeah, seen around uh, sort of in the 70% uh, winning winning ratio. So we, when we think of the All Blacks, we, we think of success. Um, and we have this long history of, of success that um, that inspires, you know, young kids. So it's, it's, a, it's a generational thing and and it's the, the number one sport in, in New Zealand for a reason. And um you know, like I said, it's part of our DNA. It's almost like a religion um, to, to New Zealanders that, you know, when the All Blacks are playing, the, the country stops. Clearly in the rugby world in particular, um, the All Blacks' reputation precedes itself. I mean, like as you just said, and I wasn't aware of this, but the highest win rate in any team sport is a pretty big accolade. And it's probably, yep. when I, now I think about it, and it makes sense to me. Take me back to the first tour you ever did. It was actually a Rugby World Cup in 2003. So when I first started playing professionally, as a 21-year-old, all of a sudden I'm sitting in a changing room with my heroes, Andrew Mertens, Justin Marshall, Reuben Thorne. I have their posters still on my bedroom wall at this <laughs> stage. And here I am sitting in a changing room with them and it happened to be a Rugby World Cup year. So all of a sudden I'm over here in Australia, the 2003 Rugby World Cup alongside my heroes. Were you playing or on the bench? I was on the bench. Yeah. I uh, played uh, the first couple of games as um, you know, a couple of the more senior players like Tana Rumanga, Aaron Major were, were injured. Uh, so I got a you know bit of a crack at the start and then kind of sat on the bench uh, for the rest of the... And how was it? I was very nervous, but I was really young and naive and I didn't really understand the extent of, of the tournament and and how much it meant to, to my teammates. And it wasn't until the semi-final where we got knocked out by Australia, completely outplayed, that I went into the changing room and the senior players that knew that this was their last World Cup, they were in tears, they were showing their emotions, they were, you know, distraught. They weren't going to get another crack at another World Cup. So as a young, naive 21-year-old, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones here because I'm young and if I put everything into into the next four years, I can give myself a, another chance to, to rewrite the wrongs of, of this World Cup in, in four years' time. I think it'd be good for you to explain because I've had some, I've been fortunate enough to have the experience of being in the room in origin wins and losses and grand finals, but probably importantly, origin wins and losses. And uh, because I was a sponsor, the difference between, most people would never get the experiences, the difference between the feeling in the room in a win situation compared to the the feeling in the room in a loss situation, this was, for me, was so stark. Like, it wasn't close. It's not like, oh, well, we won, we're happy, having a beer, we lost, we don't, you know, it's like, I'm going to go, it's like, no joke, it's like there was a death or yeah, like everyone had died. Ends. It's like the worst 
like you feel like I used to feel as though, I mean, I sponsored New South Wales for 10 years. I used to feel as though I bet I, I don't want to go down there because I, one, I used to feel like I shouldn't be there because I didn't play the game and what the hell am I doing there? Cause I lost. Um, but I felt like obliged to go down there because you can't just go down when they win. You've got to go down when they lose too. They yeah. show the support. But the feeling for me was just the most dreadful thing to witness. Now I'm talking as an observer. Can you explain to everyone the feeling, how you feel as a player, as a team member between the difference between winning that feeling and the difference and how you feel when you lost I mean, and what, what do you feel? What's what's going through your head? You're right. Start with win. Yeah, you're right because they are two completely different ends of the spectrum, and it's not like when you lose within ten minutes, you're back to where you were after you lost. And you know, when you win, you're depending on the situation. It can be a sense of relief or a sense of joy, a sense of fulfilment because you've achieved your mission, and that's when you're. Your body language is up. Your eye contact with your your brothers going like, we've just gone to war and we've succeeded. And there's no better feeling. That's still my favorite time of the week when you're in the changing room, you've got a beer in hand, you're looking at your teammate going, we did it. All that hard work, that sacrifice that we put out through the week, it was for this moment right here. And and it's important that you celebrate that those moments and, and those those times together. You don't want to be starting to think about next week until, you know, tomorrow. So actually celebrate your your success and, and victories. So it's a great place to be. Can I just stop you there for a second, Dan? So what you're saying though is you're celebrating the workmanlike process of you and your teammates of what you just won. In other words, just celebrating the last few weeks or the last three weeks in in one moment. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and it's obviously it's important to do that. But that that's that's but it's sort of to some extent a bit of a relief too. There's there's that sense oh, of, oh, got there, we did it. Well, there's just so much pressure and yeah. expectation. Everything comes with it because you know, and no one's gone through a career without a loss. You know that the how different the other changing room is, and you know when you go into to war. Uh, battle uh, game, you know that there can only be one winner. It's either you or them. So you've succeeded, it's you. But you know how different the opposition change room is. So when you, you look at the other change room, which I played 112 test matches for the All Blacks, and I remember the 13 that I lost. I remember we won, uh, we won 99, we lost 13. And I remember those changing rooms from those 13 games. Some of those games were were much more important games, World Cup semi-finals, quarter-finals uh, that we'd lost, and others were just you know other Test matches. It still hurts um, all the same. And you just in this really, you kind of got your little cubicle, and everyone just goes within themselves. So no eye contact, head down, and you're just trying to process everything. What went wrong? You're trying to find the answers to to why you didn't complete the mission. Blame. Um, I don't like to go into blame. You kind of need to look within. 
but naturally you can start thinking about referee, other people, excuses. And about yourself? Um, did I let the team down? I, did, I should have done this. And you, your, mind's, your mind's racing and it's not until the next day we actually start to process things a little bit better. You, you get a chance to breathe. You get a chance to review your week. You know, did I take any shortcuts? Did I do something that I said I wasn't going to do? What was it? Um, so it's not until 24 later that you actually process it better. But in that changing room, your mind is just going 100 miles an hour and you're trying to to process it in that moment, but you, but you can't because you still have all the emotions uh, running through you, the adrenaline, um, all the all the feelings that you're trying to, to navigate your way through and, and everyone's doing the, the same, so it's really hard to, to connect. But one thing we did with the, with the All Blacks is you know, there'd be silence. No one's talking. The coaches, they'd make a real conscious effort of just trying to get that teamness back together. So they understood that the players, they, they need a moment. But then after, you know, 20 minutes, you need to start shaking each other's hands, saying, hey, well done. You know, it's not like we did this on purpose. You know, proud of your efforts this week. You know, we'll, we'll review and digest things uh, in the review. But now let's try and connect again. So we made a real conscious effort of, of connecting again as a team and understanding that you're going to have wins, you're going to have losses. Okay, but with these losses, there's going to be learnings and this is where the growth is. So all of a sudden you start to get a better framework around the growth that you can have providing that we, we learn from, from this moment, use it, to motiv- use it as motivation to, okay, remember this feeling. We don't want this feeling again. Okay, so what are you going to do and what are we going to do to make sure that we're not in the same situation the next time we, we go to war together? Would it be fair to say then that um, the win has less of an emotional impact on you than the loss? The loss has a greater or probably maybe a, 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 lot, a, a more lingering effect on you than the win does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you learn so much more and you have so much more growth from a loss. But the challenge is to stay on top and then keep evolving that you shouldn't have these losses to to motivate you. So when you're on top, how do you continue to learn and grow at the same level as, as if you have a loss? And and that's that's the challenge. And that's what we used to spend a lot of time on on, on focusing on is you know, how do we grow and evolve? We're not looking over our shoulder at the, the opposition. This is the destiny, the journey, the vision that, that we're, walk, we're um, walking towards. And if you win, you know, are we still growing at a rate that we need to to, to walk towards that, that vision? Um, but every now and then you, you'll have a loss and that's when you, you just dig a little bit deeper and kind of go underneath the surface uh, a little bit more to, to see uh, why. And what it, what it is, and the challenge there is, there can be a number of things, but what are the critical few that are going to make the biggest change immediately? So, what are the two or three things that we need to nail next time we go to war that will make the biggest difference? Because far too often you see teams, oh, we need to change this, 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 and this. Get too radical. Yep, and they, uh, yeah, and they don't do either of them uh, at all well. So, so because your loss rate for you, at least in your your experience, is like a ten percent loss rate, so ninety percent win rate. That's <laughs> uh, sort of builds a fair bit of expectation, um, and with expectation, of course, comes disappointment. Um, the less expectation you have, the less disappointments you have too. But sometimes you want to have a, you also want to have the best win rate, like you like you did in your experience in your career. Is it instinctive discussion between you and the coaches? 
and the and the coaching staff, or is it absolute analytics? Uh, it's a combination of both. Yep. And personally, I was more on on feel, yeah, instincts. Yeah. And but then you need to to back that up by uh, statistics. So what I would often do is immediately after the game, well, how was it feeling? What did I, what did I think didn't go well? What did I think went well? And then you back that up by the analytics, the data that, that you're receiving. And often they were quite different. I was like, oh, okay, sheesh. So how far off are we? And in the all-black environment, we used to sort of monitor um, – things that aren't obvious how much time do we spend in on the ground uh you know work ethic uh you know kick chase a lot of yep. these unseen things that you can't actually have statistics for effort yeah and, and repeat efforts you know, how many times did you make two tackles in a row is a much better statistic than you know one tackle and then five minutes later another tackle you know so repeat efforts um things that you can't track and in data for, but you have a, you can see it by by watching video, um, by talking to the players, and and we learn a, a lot from those, you know, unseen efforts, and and that's, but you do need the, the data to okay, sheesh, well we, we felt our tackle percentage was this, this week, and we lost compared to last week where it was much higher. So our tackle accuracy, how do we break that down? Is it technique? Is it mindset? Is it something? That we didn't do during the week to 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 build fuel to to get you in the right you know frame of mind to to want to make those tackles. So like you're a young fellow, Dan Carter. He's like you, you know comes from a country town in New Zealand. All of a sudden you're thrown into the midst of things, um, and you're you're on tour, and uh, you know you're across the world. People are like admiring you. You know you actually receiving all sort of laudits from people around the world as being brilliant at what you do. You're an all black for a start. You walk in places, everybody sort of pretty much doing these numbers to you, you know, like um, how does a young kid from a country town in New Zealand handle that? How do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, you're naive for a start. You think, what the fuck, like what's going on here? Like, <laughs> It does. It, it takes a bit of adjustment. Um, all of a sudden people know who you are. I remember when I first started playing professionally, I played a couple of professional games and I was walking down the street and someone came up and started talking to me. And I was like, man, I must know this person. <laughs> you know, maybe they're a family friend that I just can't recognize and they were talking away for about 20 minutes. I walked away, I was like, actually, I have no idea who that was, but they knew who I was. So all of a sudden you're in the... You're, you're accessible. In the, you're, yeah, you're accessible, you're in the spotlight. People know who you are. You're getting you know, free cars, you're getting free clothes, you're getting very well looked after. You know, Free drinks. All of a sudden, yeah, free, free drinks. So we spend a lot of time on just reminding ourselves you know, who we are and, and where we came from. So something that's really helped for me is, is really connecting with a core group of people friends and family like and the, leaders in the club or outside, no 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 out. fr friends that I went to school with yeah 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 uh, people that knew me before Keep I became uh, yeah before I became a rugby player so I might have a cracking game uh, kick 90% 9 kicks out of 10 um, and I go and have a, a beer with them after the game I can assure you they're talking about the one that I missed not the 10 that I got <laughs> so they've got a great way of just bringing you back down to earth our CEO at the time Steve Chu uh, for you know, my career as a CEO of New Zealand Rugby, and at the aftermatch of every game, 
uh, in particular the games I'd have a great game he would always come up to me and, and he'd kick me on the kick my feet and the first time he did I'm like what are you doing I was, I'm just making sure your feet are on the ground and cool. in fact I ran him into I ran into him a couple of weeks ago at the airport and someone started kicking my feet from behind me turned around it was chewy so just checking to see your feet are still on the ground um, and, and little things in the environment uh, in the all black environment that we do just to to really ground ourselves and you know spend a lot of time on, on gratitude and not take anything for granted so things like the team room um if what's that, that what's the team room? the team room is is basically when you're on tour it's a, a common room that we all use to yep. for meetings uh you know to eat to, to socialize to play cards if it's a mess I can guarantee you one of the senior guys in the team is going to absolutely drill the team. So it's not good enough. It's not all black standards. Uh, the same as, as changing rooms, you know, so you'll go play uh, the MCG uh, with the All Blacks uh, recently played against Australia. You walk into the changing room and it's spotless. Everything's laid out perfectly. So when you finish at the game, you know, you take all your tape off, there's mud everywhere. It's our job to to make sure that we leave it exactly the way it was when we walked in. So you'll see the coach, the captain with the the broom and they're cleaning the changing room, they're picking up all the tape. Wow. And it's uh, it's just a constant reminder of, you know, not getting ahead of yourself. And, and you think about a young kid playing for the All Blacks for the first time and he's seen Richie McCaw or Steve Hansen cleaning the changing sheds. Um, it's going to, you know, inspire them. Um, go, well, geez, when I'm a senior player, I'm going to make sure I continue continue this as well. So it's a generational thing and it's not um, something where you go, okay, right, you've played one test match, you're the young buck in the team, go grab a broom, it's your duty to clean up. It's, you know, we're all in this together. You know, there's no individual that's that's more important than the team and, and the, the culture of the All Blacks. So having strong values like that where you're constantly reminding who you are, where you came from, uh, really does help you, you know, keep your feet on the ground. I got your book here, and I appreciate you um, writing in there for me. That I really do, and it's called "The Art of Winning." It's by assumed by Dan Carter, and uh, I know that when I mean, I, I see quite a few people on, on my show, Straight Talk Show, who've written books, and it's, a lot of times the writing of a book is quite cathartic and, in some some ways, nearly therapeutic to talk about things that that, that have happened during their life whether it's a career in your case, a rugby union career or just in life. And sometimes uh, catharsis is about um, sort of saying how you feel about something that you either did or saw or witnessed or were part of or that you never really talked about. And uh, I know you haven't just jumped off the cross. So, um, you know, Dan Carter's stuffed up sometimes. You know, are there things, are you talking about that in that in your book? Do you, I mean, is this a really f f full, honest book about your experiences or is it just about how important the All Blacks are? I mean, is there some real gritty things in here? I guess how the book came about and, and the first section of the book is, is repurposing. So I knew my purpose while I was playing rugby, to be the best rugby player in the world, while I was with the All Blacks, to not be an All Black, but to be an All Black great. I I knew every morning I got out of bed what I was walking towards and striving towards. And all of a sudden, um, I hung up my boots and and I was a little bit sort of lost, you know, loss of identity. Totally. Uh, you know, who am I if I'm, I'm, I'm not a rugby player or... You know, when do I go to training? Who are yeah. hanging out with? Yeah, so so I, I struggled a little bit through the 
Um, what year was that? What, what period is that now? 2001. 2001. Yeah, so two years. I've been navigating change. Um, so I, I realized I needed help. Uh, so I, I started talking to some, some teammates of mine that had gone through that process as well, learned what they found tough. I, I talked to some other athletes, um, a couple of New Zealand footballers that um, represented their country, played professionally, and then had successful business careers. So I learned a little bit from them. I talked to other people in business that had navigated change throughout their life as well. So I'm gathering all this information and I'm like, well, I'm not the only one that goes through this this process of navigating change and the difficulty of going from one career into I'm not too sure about what the next chapter looks like. So I actually started documenting it. Um, like at, taking notes. Yeah, sort of. Re, re, and that's what the start of the book is all about. So I'm wanting to help people. No, I finished my career after playing 18 years on a real high. I achieved everything, but it doesn't isolate you from the the difficulties of uh, what's what's next. So I knew that I needed to to repurpose. And I had a, a guy, Kevin Roberts, who's a former uh, CEO at Such and Such Advertising Agency, and he's worked with sporting teams all around the world and individuals. And he took me through this process of repurposing. And it's probably the first time I've looked inwardly properly uh, before. Honestly, to, yeah, yeah, as in honestly. Yeah, to, to work out, you know, what is my character? What are my beliefs? What are things that I'll never do? What are what are things from my past career as a rugby player that I want to take into this next chapter of my life? And all of a sudden, I had some some framework to to drive me forward. And I realized two things: one, um, I was obsessed with winning, and, and I, I loved it, and and, and I learned so much um, through being part of great cultures like I uh, like the All Blacks, the, the Canterbury Crusaders rugby team. So. Um, I wanted to steer into the the leadership space, um, so that formed the the other part of the book around the the lessons uh, that I learnt and in, in uh, leadership purpose and and potential. And the other thing that I was most proud about my rugby career was the impact that I had on the the next generation, the younger people. I was a role model to them, just like I was as that five year old boy. I used to look up to people and. And it wasn't the Rugby World Cups that I'd won. It wasn't the World Rugby Player Awards that I won that I was most satisfied about my career. It was the the impact that I was able to, to have on the next generation. And therefore, I was really passionate about that. So I wanted to share my experiences, wanted to share my knowledge uh, that I'd learned through playing. And and that's why these lessons, uh, they're not commandments set in stone. You need to do this to, to win. And that's why I see it more of a, of an art. You're, you're evolving, you're learning, you're, you're growing and that's where the those two points uh, came from to to produce the book. Uh, the so, so chapter one is purpose. Um, chapter three is um, humility. Um, it's easy. Uh, lots of us experience these things when you do something great. Probably the biggest challenge is um, remaining humble. Um, it, it really is tough, especially for a young guy. <laughs> especially if you've got money and you've got things around you and. How did you maintain humility during that period? Yeah, and where you were challenged. Let's okay, well, those. don't get me wrong. Like I'm far from from perfect, and I talk no, about no, no, I get and, that. and I talk about a lot of mistakes that I made. Yeah, the, yeah. the world has a beautiful way of teaching you lessons when you start to think that you're better than yourself, and you're you're starting to get selfish. You're, you're starting to only think about yourself, and it's a beautiful way of laying traps for you. Absolutely, and and I've fallen into them on on numerous occasions uh, when, especially after a lot of success. So one of my first learnings was 2005, we had a British and Irish Lions tour 
New Zealand and I played some of the best rugby I've ever played. Young 23-year-old, um, all of a sudden, you know, globally recognised around the world. Killing it. Probably thought I was a bit better than than, uh, than I actually was. Um, so we flew over um, to, to Wales to, to go on a tour. Uh, to, I think it was a Grand Slam year. And we had uh, a week before our first test match. Uh, so we were, you know, getting used to the time zones. We went out, we uh, we partied, and we thought, right, let's keep the party going. So we jumped in a cab uh, for three hours from Cardiff to London <laughs> to a completely different country to keep the party going. Got to London at some ridiculous hour of the morning and then kind of realised actually no bars were open and we kind of sobered up. Went, what the hell are we doing in another country? And with one of the values of the All Blacks, you know, no – um, the team is is more important than the individual. All of a sudden, we're taking really selfish reasons. So we returned back. How many were you? Were there five of us? Five of and so that Sunday night, a team meeting was called. And this time you're back in Wales. Yeah, back in Wales. And oh my god, team meeting! That'd be yes, scary. And the the power of that team meeting was our captain Tanarumanga. He told the coaches and the management to to leave, to to get out of the meeting. He's going to drive it as the captain of the team, and he gave it to us, absolutely drilled us, you know, letting the the legacy down, um, you know, being such selfish reasons, and you know, we've got a test match in a few days. And and it was really powerful just to see the players driving it. You know when your peers are giving those messages and, and those discipline, and that discipline, that it, it sinks in a lot more. Now- Did the media get hold of it? They did. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was that, about uh, to go to. Then, oh, okay, the go media, on. the media got hold of it. So all of a sudden, I'm in this this sort of dark. I've let I've let the jersey down. I've let my teammates down. I let my family, I've let so many people down. So I'm trying oh, to God. control my thoughts. How am I going to play a test match? And it was now five days. My my mind's an absolute mess. And at that stage, we we had a team psychologist and used to do a lot of work with the team as a whole. But back then, you know, we're talking early 2000s. If, if you go to see a psychologist, your teammates are looking at you going, mate, you're a bit of a wacko. What's wrong yeah, with you? Yeah. You know, you roll your sleeves up and just get on with it. That was the mentality back then. So I knocked on the door because I knew I needed some help to try and prepare for a test match. So I spent some time with him and he was just teaching me to, to live in the moment. You know, your mind wants to drift, think about the people, the past, or actually think about the game in the future, things that you can't control, things that have happened have, have happened. So he got me to write um, a 24-hour plan of everything that I needed to do. Each, for the next 24 yeah, hours. For each hour. Okay, so wake up, 7 o'clock, breakfast, uh, 8 o'clock, team meeting, blah, blah, blah. So every time my mind would drift about the mistake that I made or something that might happen in the future that I can't control, I would bring Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Myself to my plan. Okay, well, what do I need to be doing now? Right, Focus on, on the here and now and now that task. Get your mind back on what you need to do. A couple hours later, we drift off again. Oh, shit, man, that's stuffed up. Okay, right, well, shit, what do I need to do now? That's right. You're supposed to be doing a pull recovery. Go to your, do your pull recovery. After 24 hours, we would review what times were hard, what went well, and we'd do another 24 hours. And I lived like this for the entire week. And it's probably one of the best weeks of preparation I've, I've ever had. I uh, went on to, to score a record amount of points uh, in all black history against, against Wales. And I understood that the power of controlling your mind, working on it, and spending time with a, a psychologist and is something I use for the rest of my career. It was really, really powerful. People talk about mindset um, and, and often people ask me about mindset in, in business sense. But I mean, I often just say mindset is pretty simple. It's, it's The word set means you've got to set up a structure. You've got to have a structured process instead of just being randomised and thinking, as you just said, weird stuff. Because if we just let our brain go, oh, it go goes everywhere. Yeah. And uh, it'll run right down every street nude. Um, and, and and that's how it feels, yeah. especially if you've got guilt yeah. sort of grinding its legs over the top of you because like, guilt's sort of a pretty scary thing, you know. Yeah. It sort of creates imagination but the worst sort of imagination. So that, that, that's quite a clever technique that the um, psychologist got you to do and has obviously it worked for you. Yeah. So how important is structure for you now? I mean, I know it's in the book, oh. but, you know, like uh, mind management, I mean, is your chapter four here, but how important is structure for you? Because you, because I know you, you go and you talk about resilience. I, I take the view, you can't have resilience unless you've got structure and a, a proper mindset. Yeah. And that's actually what creates resilience at the yeah. end of the day. Because you're, as you say, you're just thinking about what I'm going to do this hour, what I'm going to do the next hour. And you get through the shit and everyone goes, oh, wow, he's resilient. Carter's resilient. No, you had a structure. Yeah. And uh, it's, the more you use that structure, the better you get. So how important is mindset and structure for you today and how important was it for you back then? It was speaking the same language, huge. I put a lot of my success. Everyone was like, well, how can you play with such calmness? You look like you're so relaxed out on the field. Like, I'll tell you why, because you look up the week that I'd planned and, and set up. So I learned pretty early that I had this this purpose of wanting to be an all-black great. Okay, and what did that mean? You know, it means I had to play for the All Blacks for over 10 years. I need to evolve my game. I need to work harder than all the other, you know, opponents, everything like that. But then I needed to bring it down to structure. What is it? And I interviewed uh, co-founder, oh, sorry, of uh, LinkedIn social media platform, Reid Hoffman, yep. one of my successful entrepreneurs. And he talked about this analogy of, of plumbing and poetry, so the purpose and your vision is the poetry, but what's the plumbing? The plumbing is the structure. So I used to break down each season and then break it down to the campaign that's directly in front of me and then down to the week and then down to the day. So I knew exactly what I was doing every single day. So every Sunday night, I would plan my week. Firstly, I'd review the last week, what went well, what didn't, what do I need to do this week? So I knew that um, the schedule that I went on, uh, the rugby trainings. What so this is Sunday night. Sunday night. Why yeah. Sunday night? Just to, it's just because we'd often play on a Saturday. Yeah. And then, you know, recover. And then Sunday night, I wanted right. to plan the week ahead. Yep. So by that's by Sunday night, we had when the trainings were, when our days off were. So we had some general team structure. So you had your diary ready. You had yep. a diary set out for you. Yeah. So I used to plan every day, okay, well, training finishes here. So I'm going to do some extra work here. 
okay, I'm going to do some rehab, prehab here. I'm going to do some uh, some pool recovery here, day off. We have half a day with the family. The other half uh, is active recovery from four to five. I'm actually going to dive into my homework and go through this attacking strategy, a defensive plays, close the book, right? Get back to a strict session, uh, go watch a movie. You know, so I'd plan everything. So I was huge on structure. So when I finished playing, I didn't have structure anymore that you have as an athlete. You didn't have a reason to structure. Yeah. So I was, so I set up some some really good habits initially to help me because there was some time where I was a little bit lost. I was just drifting, you know, through this this retirement and, and I sort of didn't have a lot of meaning. So I used the habits that I'd set up in, in sport to life after rugby. So I continued every Sunday night. I would write some, some kind of general goals uh, that I wanted to achieve for the week. And then I would break down um, fitness and exercise is a really big thing for me. Sort of mentally, I'm feeling fresh when I know that I'm being active and, and training. So I, I put in a training plan for the week. Um, it's very different to what it used to be. You know, just going for a 40-minute run, uh, you know, maybe a circuit training session, E45, whatever it was, I would plan those in the week, which days I would. And then I'd write just some key messages, you know, be present with the family, for example, um, you know, smile, be nice, just some little sort of touch points to remind myself of how I wanted to to go through the week. And you get to the weekend and I'm like, have I done what I said I've done? And if I have, you know, I have a real sense of, you know, satisfaction, fulfillment, get to the Sunday, what didn't go well last week? What did? So you're on this constant sort of growth of, you know, Wanting to to improve and, refinement, yeah, and yeah. that and a lot of it is because of that that structure that, that I learned from playing sport that I've taken into you know the next chapter in my life, which yeah. is huge for me. So uh, I want to take you to resilience because I mean, in part of my theory is that, or a part of my thesis is that resilience comes about the more often you practice your structure. If you keep practicing that structure, you become resilient. You, certainly, from the external point of view, everyone thinks you're resilient, or, but. Really, you still hurt like everybody else when something doesn't go wrong. You still, you know, you still stuff things up. We still fail often. I mean, like, I mean, I know it in my life. I mean, everyone thinks, you know, I'm baristas. Like every week I have disappointments in myself I'm talking about, um, you know, and uh, but I take myself back to my structure and my process. And uh, do you feel the same about that? Or Because everybody might be looking back and say, oh, Dan Carter is perfect, you know. Like, yeah, Far from it. Yeah. yeah, so like, I mean, I think it's important. That's why these books are important because people get to read about, oh, hang on, he's not perfect. And I feel better about myself all of a sudden. And I think people like you, to some extent, have sort of an obligation to say to everybody, look, can I share with you what works for me? And by the way, lots of stuff didn't work for me. And uh, because that makes people understand that there are no such things as perfect people. Yeah. There's just no such thing. And that, and that all comes around. And that whole resilience thing, people say, well, I'm not tough enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not resilient enough to be able to deal with what he's dealt with. I yeah. mean, we all go through that stuff. We all challenge our own resilience. Yeah. But then we go, I always go back to structure. How do you talk about it in your chapter six in here? Yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite uh, chapters, you know, talking about – you know, resilience and having the right tools in place to help you deal with with setbacks, disappointments, not achieving your goals, um, because they're all really aspirational things that you're striving towards. 
but life isn't perfect. Mm. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna, as sports people, you're gonna have injuries, you're gonna have setbacks, you're gonna have lack of form, you're gonna have things like that. So, what do you go to in moments like that? And one of the biggest learnings for me was 2011, my third World Cup, and I got named to be captain of the All Blacks the day before the game because the great Richie McCaw uh, pulled out of the game with a, a little niggle. And it was my big moment. Was, and it was going to be my last World Cup. And then I was going to look to play potentially overseas. So my third and final World Cup. This is our time. This is our moment. And then I went to training. Uh, kicked a conversion, which I've kicked millions of in my life. And um, yeah, I tore my adductor um, muscle off, off off my pubic bone. Wow. And the World Cup for me was, was over. You know, so I was distraught. I was trying to deal with all my emotions. Like, why now? Why me? And and so I went into a pretty dark place. Not and, fair. Um, yeah. Oh, seriously, nothing was fair at that stage. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'd learned through time that, you know, with these setbacks, you, you need a little bit of time to deal with your emotions and grieve. And my wife now knows that when I have a setback, just to leave me for 24 hours. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay to, to be angry. It's okay to... Um, to be a little bit scared, to, to cry, whatever it is. But there needs to be a time where you f- you flick the switch. Okay, right, I've dealt with those emotions and you can either then you can either deal with it through that time or you can park it and come back to it at certain moments or you can forget it. And often I thought people try and forget it too quickly and they move on and it catches up with them later in life. Because it still lingers. Yeah. It hangs around. Yeah. So I, I parked it and I went out, okay, well, I can't change what, what's happened. I'm injured. Um, and then I went back to my purpose. Well, what is my purpose? That's right, to be an all-black great. So what does an all-black great do in a moment like this? He works harder. He does the best rehab he's ever done. He resets new goals. He gets back to his structure, which is what we're talking about. So as soon as I had a plan and structure moving forward, I had the motivation of wanting to, to come back even stronger and better. And, and that's what was driving me forward. So I went back to my sort of planning my weeks. I had new goals that I was trying to set. I ended up re-signing a new contract with New Zealand Rugby in for another four years to play in another World Cup in 2015. And and that's what was driving me. And having those tools in place and those learnings, how to deal with those disappointments and setbacks is, is what you know makes you more resilient. You need those plans and systems in, in place to, to get you through because when you do get through and you get strong, that hurt that you had makes you even stronger. And that's why I feel like you know, the person that I am today is it's not because of the success I had, but more the setbacks and the, the the right systems and structure to bounce back from those setbacks is, is what made me you know much stronger, more resilient person. That's interesting. It's it's not dissimilar to what you said about when you lose a game. Um, that it's more about learnings. What do I? Because I mean, I read a, a very good book called Win or uh, um, I think it's called Win or Learn, and it was written by John Kavanagh, who's um, the uh, trainer for um, um, Conor McGregor. And the book, the, the UFC fighter, and it's about um, you never lose. You always, well, yeah. you can lose if you, if you have that mindset. Learnings, or you don't take the learnings from Correct. From you're, yeah. Then you're a loser. Yeah. But if you're, uh, we won, great. Thumbs up. We lost. Okay, what have I learned from it? Yeah. And you're saying that in this situation, you're, in this situation, you decided that you're going to learn about yourself and how to make yourself better and get back in. I mean, eventually got back into playing for the, into, into for, for New Zealand rugby as a for the next World Cup. A lot of people would give up and say, "No, nah, it's all too hard," and, and they actually sort of go into their shell. Um, 
What do you think is it in your makeup though that made you turn that switch after you sort of grieved and carried on about how unhappy and disappointed you were, you weren't going to run on as captain in your, in your last game, et cetera. Um, what was it that sort of got you, Dan Carter, to make those decisions? Did you go and talk to psychologists like you did in the last time or, or did you talk to your dad or your mum or did someone tap you on the shoulder? Was it just something you read? Where did you get that from? Where did you get the idea? It was it was just going back to, to my purpose. What works for you? Yeah, my purpose and structure that gave me motivation to, to to push forward. And don't get me wrong, that next four years from 2011 to 2015 was one of the, probably the hardest parts of, of my career. So 2012, I had this new motivation. I got my body right. I became World Player of the Year in 2012. A great turnaround of 12 months from from where I was after my injury. And then all of a sudden, 2012 wasn't, oh, sorry, 2013 wasn't so good. I started getting little niggles. Um, I couldn't string more than three games in a row, hamstrings, calves, sort of minor minor ankle surgeries. I was like, oh, okay, this my body is telling me to, to give up. 2014, another horrific year. Only strung two test matches uh, together in, in that year. So I thought I wanted to retire. Like I was like, I'm done. You know, I'd have days where I'm like, no, this is my body telling me time to give up. And then having a really strong support system, my wife played – uh, international hockey for New Zealand for a number of years, so she understood what it, you know, the mindset of, of an athlete and the the emotional roller coaster that you go on. So she'd constantly encourage me, "No, you'll get through, get through this." And my teammates would be there to support me, coaches. So I'd have really bad days where I wanted to hang up the boots, and then the next day, okay, no, I've got this. The next day, no, nah, no, nah, I'm done. Okay, next roller day, coaster. I've got this. And to be honest, in times like that, it's just a matter of getting out of bed and just pushing through those moments, you know, after these magical moments, just just doing what you need to each and every day because that feeling, it doesn't last forever. And through that constant grind, I managed to work my way out of it. 2015, World Cup year, awful two years before me. I was playing Super Rugby, the start of the competition, and I, it was all about survival mode. I was in survival. I just wanted to to get to the 60-minute mark where I got subbed, subbed off, still in one piece. Okay, well, wow. Okay, next week I play 70 minutes. Next week, I, geez, I got my first 80-minute game in two years. Oh, I've done two in a row. I've done three games in a row. Got to halfway through the season, I'm like, I'm not even worrying about how I'm playing. I'm just in the survival mode. Okay, well, how about I start trying to play well? So the second half of the year, I started sort of applying myself a lot more, started taking more of a leadership role and – and finished the the end of that campaign really strongly. Went into the international season with you know with a lot more confidence in, in my body, and then things just got better and better. And you know, next thing I know, I'm at the Rugby World Cup playing you know really important part and 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 that uh, that World Cup to to help the team win win back to back World Cups and be Player of the Year again, World Player of the Year again to be a Man of the Match in the World Cup final. From where I was, you know, those years earlier that actually going into survival mode during those times, it's not a bad thing um, because survival mode won't last forever. And it's not a, it's a good mode. It's good that you can actually um, draw, draw on survival mode because it's an important um, mindset to have. But you can't stay there because it is survival mode. It's, it's not, it, you're not, you don't do better. You no. just survive yourself. And, yep. uh, but it's important to be able to call on that, um, you know, like in, in these situations, particularly if you're injured. Yep. But you can't stay there. You got to move on. Uh, you're a country kid. Um, 
when you get called into the squad, you're expected to be able to do the hucker because, you know, all of you get up there and do the hucker in front of the other the opposition. How, how do you uh, learn it and, uh, you know, and become accepted by, particularly by the, the Maori boys? Yeah. And you, you've got to learn, there's words to it, I mean, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I really think is great about New Zealand um, is that they actually sing the New Zealand anthem in two languages. Yeah. I, I just think it's brilliant. I, I think New yeah. Zealand anthem is one of the best. It's so melodic. It's beautiful to listen to, but I just love the fact that they do it in both Maori and uh, and English. Yeah. And it's usually Maori first. Um, and I, I, mean, Always, I think yeah. Australia, we could learn from that. I, problem is we don't have one Indigenous language. We have lots, but yeah. I'm sure they could somehow work this out. But in terms of learning to do the haka and actually um, and say the haka, um, yep. how does that work? Like where do you, how do you learn that? Well, well, going back to the start of our conversation, like the All Blacks, it's part of our DNA. So my kids, I've got four young boys. Um, That's fun. Your father's one of how many? Yes. Uh, yeah, father, six. Six boys. Yeah. And uh, were so you five boys and one one sister. And, and you? What are you one of? No, nah, just, it's just the two of us. Two, two no brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, That's so interesting, but you have four families. boys. Yeah. And, you know, they are ages uh, 10, 8, 4, and 2. And they can perform the huck already. Oh, really? Yeah. So when I was five they years old. They know the words? Yeah. As well? so when, I was, when I was five years old, I was performing the haka. And even like the boys, my boys' school, they have their own haka that they know and perform. So you grow up, you know, the schools that I play for, you know, we perform a haka. So at five years old, I was doing the haka in front of the mirror because my heroes were doing the haka and I just loved the haka. Didn't really know what the words meant or the, you know, whether I was doing the actions properly or anything like that. But there's a lot of kids that, that know the haka. So all of a sudden, you're playing your first game for the All Blacks, representing your country, singing the beautiful national anthem. And as a skinny little white country boy, I went straight to the back of the haka. I was like, oh, well, no, it's gonna, it's, 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 I, I, it's, don't, I don't want to mess this up. Even though that I've done it for um, since I was five-year-old, um, I don't know. I do not want to muck this up. So I went straight to the back of the haka. But the, one of the beauty beauties of the, the All Blacks is when you become part of the team, you're, you're taught the haka what the actions actually mean, uh, you know, bringing your ancestors up, you know, through the ground, through their spirits and releasing them to laying the challenge uh, to the opposition. So you actually learn about what the words and the actions mean. So you actually do it with a lot more meaning than I did as a five-year-old boy. Uh, but still performing it for the first time was one of the most nervous that I've been. You is know, there a hierarchy? Like, I mean, in other words. Uh, yeah, there is. You've got the, the leader. Yeah. Who, who, how does the leader get picked? Uh, normally the it's, uh, you know, sort of most respected, uh, you know, multiplayer that you, you've got in the team right. or basically anyone that kind of wants to do it. You'll have uh, some leaders. And and then guys that have performed it for a number of years kind of tendency to, to walk, uh, you know, more towards the front and the inexperienced you know, sort of white boys uh, had the back. Um, but the All Blacks, I think we started in 2015. We go into a, like a kind of a V, which is like a shark's t- shark tooth. Uh, is what we framed it to back uh, in 2015, where you have your your leader, your captain at the front, your more experienced players uh, that hold more mana, sort of, you know, respect uh, the opposition. But have been there for a long period of time. The, the leader kind of lingers ar- around the middle, um, so there's a lot of, you know, history and, you know, it's a really strong cultural thing of a part of, you know, our identity as, as All Blacks and, and New Zealand is, is the haka. So to perform it, there's no better feeling. But when you're performing it and you're knowing 
a lot more about the the meaning and, and what it is that it makes it even more powerful. The Are you problem, allowed to share that with me? What is the what sort of in a, in a few short sentences? You know, what you, is you the love meaning? This. Of it? Yeah, so it's 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 about you know representing the the people that have gone before you, sort of bringing their spirits up through the ground, making sure you're firmly grounded on the on the on the the Turf. soil that yep. you're 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 performing and, and playing on. So it's a real sort of shy, um, sign of sort of respect, acknowledgement, and um, and a challenge uh, to the opposition. One, I was really lucky in 2004. We started the process of you know working on the all black culture, and we thought that we'd love to to give the haka kamati uh, a brother. So that's where we formed our kapo pango. It's a it's a new haka. And by that stage, we wanted to just talk a little bit about the the culture that we were creating. And we had, uh, you know, Fijians in our team. We had uh, Samoans, Tongans, people from all different uh, different backgrounds and cultures. So we wanted to make a haka that meant a lot for for this time. You know, so our our time, sort of our moment, and and celebrate the the cultural diversity uh, in the All Blacks. So that's where Kapo Pango, the new haka, uh, came about and, you know, in the haka, the action, so it's our time, our moment, um, is, is really, really important. So it was nice to be part of that process of, of forming a, a brand brand new haka, which was great. And Does that still exist today? Yeah, it still exists. It's the same formed one it at the MCG. Uh, recently, yeah. Uh, yeah, recently. So that was, that was uh, you know, great. It's a, and they just kind of pick and choose which, you know, which haka they perform. And, and now there's two, two all black hakas. So to be part of that process was pretty special. But it's it's crazy. Siri, every time we travel around the world to, to see how much sort of people love and, <sighs> and in, in sport, you know, you don't have, you know, many things. What I love the most is when you're playing against – Tonga or Samoa or Fiji and they're performing their haka yeah. back to you and it's 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 the challenging thing that we learn is you perform this haka you're so driven that we used to start the game and we'd give away about 10 penalties in the first uh, 15 minutes because we wound up yeah it was so wound up and it's actually it wasn't working to our advantage whereas a lot of the opponents are oh, like it's you know they're using it to their advantage and no we're not actually we're so red-headed mindset that we're actually giving away penalties we're not thinking very clearly so you'll see the team now they perform the haka and they go back to the 22 and they come together in a circle and you have the leaders okay breathe so you do three big deep breaths okay and then you throw it to the playmakers okay first play our kickoff I'm going to kick here I need these guys really strong chase bring you back to task focused yeah. uh, and that sort of really helped us uh, giving away so many penalties at the start of the game obviously I'm a Roosters supporter yeah. and I'm um, on the board of the Roosters and one of our favourite sons players is uh, SBW Sonny B. Williams um did you ever play with Sonny B. Williams in uh, World Cup games or maybe in the um, uh, Super Rugby? Like, uh, did you play? I, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to play alongside uh, Sonny and, and train him and and see just how much of an incredible athlete he was. I still remember when he came on the NRL scene, the Bulldogs, and he just made such an impact um, at, such a, at such a young age. And then – to all of a sudden be playing with him at the Canterbury Crusaders. He wanted to give Rugby Union uh, a crack and he came to, to the Crusaders. So one thing that I learned from day one was the reason that he was such an amazing athlete was his work ethic. Oh, it was it was, it was was inspiring. You know, I used to pride myself on my work ethic and all of a sudden I'm going to the gym and here he is. And then the extra work that he did um, 
after training in terms of looking after his body. He was an incredible athlete and there's, you know, there's no secret that was a part of his success and, and longevity in the game. But his ability to to bounce then back to the your beloved Roosters, um, you know, play for them and then to come back to Union, the fact that he played uh, alongside me in 2011 World Cup, played a key role in 2015 World Cup off the bench, um, and then four years later I'd finished playing international rugby at that stage, but here is the 2019 Rugby World Cup in amongst his uh, you know success that he had uh, in the NRL and you throw in a couple of boxing um, yeah, put you in know, a few shows about uh, through then you just get nothing but respect for the the athlete that he is. It's, it's quite quite interesting because because uh, all the time you're talking about structure, I kept thinking when Sonny came back to us uh, to play with the Roosters. Um, one of the things that I remember our chairman Nick Plotter saying to me was. Mate, it's amazing, uh, Sonny, because we needed someone like him back in our environment. Not, not, not necessarily for his rugby league skill, because I mean, he's got skills. But we have players with skills. But it was more his um, mindset and his discipline, and probably most importantly, his structure. I remember Nick Plyer saying, "Coach Rang said that um, Sonny turned up. For, he came up, came in early before training. He had a clipboard with a whole lot of notes on it." And he went around interviewing coach, like, what do you want me to do? What's happening? Like he took notes, copious notes, and he brought that clipboard to training for a really long time. Like he, it's like he was like he was a coach or an assistant coach or something along those lines. But making sure that he had copious notes about what it is that was expected of him in that team and then, as you say, he did extra work all the time, like extra. And our young players were just so inspired to see someone like him. Be like, you know, he's a rugby league great in terms of his skills and his ability, and what he's achieved too, for that matter. Um, and being an all black as well, like it was like having again, like having someone like you in the room. It's like having royalty in your presence. And the lift that he gave to our team was quite incredible, and you know, helps us win grand finals. Um, that structure piece. And the demonstration of structure, as opposed to just talking about it, but the demonstration of it, the, what you would have demonstrated to your teammates, what he demonstrated to his teammates at, at, in Sydney and the Roosters, we should never underestimate how important that stuff is. And it's just the, they're the one percenters. That's a, it's sort of boring, nearly, but it's so bloody important. Oh, as, as a young athlete, you can get away with a lot more. You can turn up. You don't have to do the extra work before training afterwards. But when you have people that have been there, done that, hugely respected in their field like Sonny is, it sets just an amazing example that the players kind of look at, okay, well, maybe that's why he's you know one of the best rugby league players that have ever played the game. That's why he can bounce from rugby union and play for the All Blacks and come back. So... It inspires the, the younger guys. Okay, well, if I, you know, really believe that I want to, to be a great player and contribute to this team, I need to be doing the same. So I think it was might have been the Chiefs that he went to, and and he set the example. He wasn't doing it to show them. He's doing it because that's something that he can control. Is actually his his recovery, his you know rehab, his nutrition, things like that. And next thing you know, day two of training. All the young boys are on the the roller doing sort of warm ups and rehabs uh, similar to to Sonny. So the impact that he has is, is huge, for, you know, far beyond the game. So Dan, I, I think that what's really important. I mean, this is not just a book you're out here promoting. I mean, like, 
I think this sort of stuff, we've been talking about it, but this sort of stuff is critical to people, whether you're a sportsman or not a sportsman in business, because you're in the business of sports. So you're a business person at the end of the day. That's your game. You're a business guy. But your your tool, sport, that structure, those processes that you're talking about, the things you refer to as sunny, but the stuff that you did for your in your business life and the way you got through your vulnerabilities and your failures to get back up on the horse and become great at what you what you love doing is such a great lesson for people in it doesn't have to be just leadership roles in any role just running a small business it could be you're running a cafe and finding things are a bit tough um, I think books like this are incredibly important for all of us and what's more important I think it's incredibly important for people like you to share with us and so I appreciate it mate no I appreciate appreciate, appreciate your time and uh, yeah, really enjoyed that thank you totally Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Podcast.